Welcome to Created to Reign, a podcast of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. I am David Arley Gates. And I'm Cal Beisner. And our mission is to educate the public and policymakers on biblical earth stewardship, economic development for the poor, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in the midst of a series of podcasts now discussing a document called The Biblical Perspective of Environmental Stewardship, Subduing and Ruling the Earth to the Glory of God and the Benefit of Our Neighbors. We have done two programs on this so far, and now we're going to go through points 14 through 20 of this document. For those of you who are new to this series, the document is done in the form of affirmations and denials. So each point has one thing that we affirm, and then it has something that we deny that corresponds to that. This is important in a relativistic age like ours, in which so many people seem to think you can affirm something and affirm its opposite at the very same time and still be rational. We think that's not the case. Let's go right on into it here. Uh, David, point number 14 is, we affirm that God placed minerals, plants, and animals in and on the earth for his pleasure to reveal his glory and elicit man's praise and to serve human needs through godly use. And we have a number of different scriptural passages that we cite there. Uh, you can find this document, by the way, on Cornwall Alliance's website, cornwallalliance.org. Click on the Landmark Documents tab and go down to the Biblical Perspective of Environmental Stewardship. So you'll find all of those scripture passages listed there. But they are Genesis 2, 5 through 16, 4, 22, Numbers 31, 21 through 23, Job 38 through 41, four straight chapters, Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and Psalm 104. And then we deny that recognizing instrumental value in the earth and its various physical and biological components dishonors God or is idolatrous. That denial, by the way, came out of my encountering one environmental thinker from Scotland who has written a number of different books in the field and is simultaneously a Marxist and professes to be a Christian. But he said that to speak of value in anything in the world as instrumental rather than inherent was to dishonor God and to dishonor whatever it is that you were talking about. So, David, how is it that we can properly think in terms of instrumental value for minerals, plants, and animals, things that are to serve man's needs? as well as to reveal God's glory and elicit man's praise. Actually, Cal, before we go on, you might want to explain the difference between instrumental value and inherent value to our listeners. Instrumental value says that something is valuable only insofar as someone else is able to use it for some purpose. Inherent value says that it's valuable in and of itself without regard to any service, any purpose that it serves to anyone else. Some people think that to think of the world around us as having instrumental value is to deny that it has value in and of itself. I think that's a false choice. But besides that, I think it also simply ignores the fact that both scripture and human experience teach us that there is a lot of instrumental value in the world around us. 
a peach hanging from a tree is beautiful in and of itself. Of course, if no one were looking at it, no one would see its beauty, except that, of course, God does, and God always sees all beauty everywhere. But when we pick that peach and eat it, it does have instrumental value for us. And even when we're looking at it, it has instrumental value for us in terms of the aesthetic pleasure that we receive from it. Yeah, when we assign a value to something, we generally desire to protect it or to use it. But taking that generally to an illogical extreme, there are those who would wish to protect the environment in some form of pristine state. And that's not what God commanded us to do. We were instructed to be fruitful, to multiply, to worship God as the only God, and to care for others as we would care for ourselves. To do that requires us to use natural resources, not to abuse them but to apply them judiciously in the fulfillment of God's commandments. And the next one, number 15 here, is that we affirm that one way of exercising godly dominion is by transforming raw materials into resources and using them to meet human needs. The denial part on this really gets to a point that you made in our last episode. We really are responsible to God for taking whatever he gives us and enhancing its value, actually increasing its value. So the denial is this. We deny that leaving everything in the earth in its natural state is proper biblical stewardship. And we refer there to Matthew 25, 14 through 30, which of course is the parable of the talents. Why don't you go ahead and enlarge on that a bit more than you did in the last program? Because this is a really crucially important passage for our understanding of biblical earth stewardship. In the parable of the talents, we have a master who has three slaves. The master is leaving for a time, and he leaves his wealth with three slaves. The first slave is given five talents. The second slave is given two talents, and the third slave is given one talent. And so the master leaves and comes back at some later point and goes to the slaves and asks for an accounting on what they have. And the first slave says, here are your five talents, and here are five more that it is earned. He is proclaimed as being a good and faithful servant. The second one says, here are your two talents back, and here are two more that it's earned. He is also proclaimed as being a good and faithful servant. The third servant comes in and says, here is your talent that you gave me. I give it back to you in exactly the same way you gave it to me. I hid it in the ground so that it would be protected. I've now dug it up. I brought it back to you. It's in exactly the same form that you presented it to me. You have lost nothing. He is criticized for being a worthless slave. And that is key because, as I said last time, it specifically says he hid it in the ground. A lot of people, David, may not even be aware of the fact that there is a whole movement, the motto of which is, keep it in the ground. Uh, This is 350.org, which was founded by Bill McKibben, whom many people think is the most influential environmentalist in America today and has been for the last 30 or so years. He launched this keep it in the ground motto and movement, and people may think, wow, that's crazy. Nobody would think that. Well, in fact, some people do. And the reason it's 350.org, the 350 comes from attempting to keep carbon dioxide at 350 parts per million. 
Of course, now we've gone beyond that. We're at about 415 or so parts per million. But the idea is somehow that carbon dioxide is a bad, evil gas. I would like to just look a little more closely at that third servant and what he did. Reading the actual text here in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 24, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. The way this servant describes the master is incredibly disrespectful and is in fact false, saying reaping where you have not sown. Well, the master had sown. He had given him two talents. And by the way, a talent in those days was worth quite a few years of the ordinary workers' labor. So this was a major investment that the master had made. He wasn't reaping where he had sown. So the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown. He's not affirming that that's in fact what he did. He's saying, okay, let's take for granted what you said here. Let's see if you worked consistently with that. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. And then he turns away from this servant, and he says to those around him, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think that's the judgment that any of us wants to fall under. Whenever the Lord gives us talents, and I don't just mean pieces of gold or silver, I mean our knowledge, our skills, when he gives us anything of value, relationships with other people, relationships with the land around us, with the physical world, our duty is to bring every one of those into an expanded glory, an expanded value, and to use them all for the glory of God, for the benefit of our neighbors. And if we just simply say, we're just going to keep the earth untouched by human hands, we're going to minimize our environmental footprint, our carbon footprint, or something like that, then we're acting like this wicked and lazy servant, rather than acting the way the Lord wants us to act. Point number 16 in the biblical perspective of environmental stewardship says, We affirm that because of man's fall into sin, sinful human hearts often fall prey to materialism, the covetous love of money, and the selfish accumulation of possessions. And we cite a number of scriptural passages. We deny that the temptation to materialist idolatry entails that the production of wealth, whether material from the earth or immaterial from the human mind, is sinful in and of itself. So here we start to come up against what might be referred to as the simple life kind of movement, just live simply, get by on the least possible resources. This particular point was inserted into here because there are some people in what might be 
called the simple lifestyle movement, which is common among some evangelicals, usually of a sort of a leftward bent in their political thinking, that says we need to minimize what we use of the earth. And really, nobody should be rich. And usually that comes from a Marxist perspective that says, if James is rich, then Cheryl must be poor because there's just a limited size of pie out there to be divided between James and Cheryl. That's just not so, because God made us in his image to be productive as he is, we can actually increase the size of the pie. So the simple lifestyle movement tends to misunderstand man's role in the earth. I think yeah, it points to the covetous love of money, and that's the issue that the Bible has always made is that working to become wealthy, to have things, isn't bad in of itself. It's when that is your goal and you're not taking care of your other requirements of loving God and helping others. Yeah, what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. We should love God. We should love our neighbors. We should use money to bless our neighbors. One of the things that I tell people is, if you really want to help poor people, the first thing is, don't be poor, because then you don't have wherewithal to help the poor. Number 17 is, we affirm that man is accountable to God's judgment in all he does with the earth. And by contrast, we deny that man's accountability to God justifies abolishing private property, as is explained in Exodus 20, 15, and 17 by adopting collectivist economic institutions, or by delegating to civil governments, whether it be local, national, or even global, the ownership or control of land, natural resources, or private property. This gets us into our discussion of capitalism versus socialism. I know that somebody recently said that Jesus would have been a socialist, and as a result, we should be socialists too. I've, of course, written about that, as you know, in a number of different places in a couple of chapters of my book, Prosperity and Poverty, the Compassionate Use of Resources in a World of Scarcity. Also in my book, Is Capitalism Bad for the Environment? And in my short book, Social Justice versus Biblical Justice, How Good Intentions Undermine Justice and Gospel, the Bible simply does not support socialism. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, does not continue by saying, unless you are the government. And we don't turn the forcible expropriation of wealth from one person and giving it to another into a good just by having the government do it instead of my doing it myself. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think that Jesus' instruction to the rich young ruler, for example, to sell everything that he had and give to the poor demands that everyone renounce private property. There was one writer in a book called Communism in the Bible who said that the Bible actually requires, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a communist. I think that that's completely mistaken. And actually, private property is essential to good stewardship of the earth, because private property means that you're accountable, that you can be held liable for what you do with your property. And if what you do injures someone else, you can be required to make amends there. 
But without private property, you can't do that. Private property also gives incentive to take good care of that property, which is, as I like to put it, why you find graffiti on public bathroom walls and not on the bathroom wall in your home. Private property is really very important to environmental stewardship. And I believe that I've demonstrated in my short book, Is Capitalism Bad for the Environment?, that capitalism is actually far better at environmental stewardship than socialism or even a mixed economy. All of those books, by the way, are available through the online store at cornwallalliance.org. Click on store and you can order those books from us at the Cornwall Alliance. While you're there, I hope that you'll also consider making a tax-deductible donation to support this ministry. We depend 100% on donations from those who agree with our ministry. Number 18 is very succinct, actually. We affirm that man's fall into sin, as described in Genesis 3, entails the possibility and indeed the historical reality of the human abuse of the earth and of fellow humans. By contrast, we deny that man's fall into sin completely destroys any possibility of godly dominion. There are some people who will say, well, Genesis 1.28, that God gave man dominion over the earth, occurred before the fall, and since the fall, we are now sinful, and so we cannot be entrusted with dominion at all. I think that's really just plain silly. When I had children in my home, and I would tell one of them, take the garbage out, if that child disobeyed, I didn't decide, well, since he disobeyed, he's therefore no longer responsible to take the garbage out. No, I said, child, now I told you, take the garbage out, and you still have a responsibility to do that, even though you didn't do it already. So the fact that we've fallen into sin doesn't mean that we are no longer responsible to exercise dominion over the earth. What it means is we need to be all the more careful that we exercise in our dominion in a way that honors God, that glorifies him, and that serves our neighbors instead of just glorifying and serving ourselves. Number 19, we affirm that in response to man's sin, God cursed the ground so that it would not, as before sin, yield easily even to godly dominion cultivation, let alone to ungodly abusive domination. And indeed, God subjected the whole cosmos to decay and corruption until he restores it partially in history by obedience to the dominion mandate, whether by the unregenerate through common grace or by the regenerate through special grace, and he restores it fully in the new heavens and new earth of the eschaton, the, the end, all secured by the redeeming work of Christ, as we read in Colossians 1, 14 through 20. And there are a variety of different scripture passages that we cite there for those different parts. The denial part of this goes on to say, we deny due to God's faithfulness to his covenant, in which he proclaimed after the flood that he would sustain the cycles on which terrestrial life depends for as long as the earth endures. This is from Genesis 8, 22. We deny that God's curse on the earth negates either the dominion mandate or the robustness and self-correcting resilience of the God-sustained earth. This one speaks to me in particular because it's saying that just because sin occurs doesn't necessarily mean 
everything is completely different. There is a requirement, of course, for a savior to come into our life where there wouldn't have been one prior to sin. There is a need here to be able to say that things changed as a direct result of sin, but it does not mean that our requirement has not ended just because sin has come into our lives. Yeah, and much of the environmental movement wants to say nature is best untouched by human hands, especially because humanity has fallen into sin. That just is not what Scripture teaches, and we really need to be careful not to lose track of this dominion mandate that God has given to us. Well, the last point that we're going to be covering in uh, today's program is number 20. We affirm that human multiplication and filling of the earth are intrinsically good, and that, in principle, children, lots of them, are a blessing from God to their faithful parents and the rest of the earth. And we refer there to Psalms 127 and 128, Psalm 127, for example, saying, children are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is his reward, like arrows in the hand of a mighty man, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And then we go on to deny that the earth is overpopulated. We deny that overpopulation is even a meaningful term, since it cannot be defined by demographic quantities, such as population density, population growth rate, or age distribution. And we deny that godly dominion over the earth requires population control or family planning to limit fertility. And a great deal of the environmental movement is absolutely committed to the notion that the world is already overpopulated, that we need to reduce the number of people in the world. Many of the leading environmentalists think that optimal human population would be somewhere around half a billion people instead of the roughly 8 billion people in the world right now. What should Christians think of that kind of attitude toward humanity? It goes back to the original Earth Day back in 1970. You remember, we were told that humans had overpopulated the earth. There would be this massive die-off by 1989 with literally the deaths of 65 million people because the earth simply cannot sustain this population or feed all of these people. Therefore, the argument was we must start to limit the population. This led to China's one-child policy and became one of the stated benefits of abortion on demand. But of course, this die-off never happened in large part because technological advances in farming over the last 50 years have simply been able to feed more people with the same amount of arable land. Moreover, population growth has greatly diminished due to lifting people from poverty. In impoverished countries, each family has many children because few will live to reach puberty. But when the standard of living grows substantially, and as it has, the number of children a family has will decrease because childhood mortality decreases and thus there is less incentive to have lots of children. Population rose very rapidly from the period of the Industrial Revolution through the late 20th, early 21st century, not because people were breeding like rabbits, but because they stopped dying like flies. And as the infant and child mortality rate declines when society gets wealthier, People have fewer and fewer children because they know that they don't need to have more children just to have some hope that a few of them are going to survive to adulthood and have more children as well. Queen Anne of England had 19 children, 
not one of them made it to adulthood. That was not uncommon in those days. So we should be thankful instead that through God-given skill and understanding, we have learned to master the resources of the earth so as to improve human health and human longevity. Life expectancy at birth has risen from around 27 years before the Industrial Revolution to around 80 in developed countries now and about 70 worldwide. That's a wonderful thing. And the earth is not overpopulated. You cannot define overpopulation by reference to population density or population growth rate or, or age distribution. There are places that are very densely populated, like Manhattan with over 65,000 people per square mile, that nobody would say Manhattan is overpopulated. It's a wonderful place for people to live. Many people love that. And then there are places with very low population density, like sub-Saharan Africa, that some people will say are overpopulated. So population density is not the point. Indeed, the anti-population growth movement really has its roots in the eugenics movement that says that some people are more advanced than other people genetically. And in the competition for survival, the more advanced need to get rid of the less advanced. And that movement really is what gave birth to the population control movement. I've written about this in another of my books, Prospects for Growth, a Biblical View of Population Resources in the Future, which also is available through the online store at cornwallalliance.org. Well, thanks again for joining us for Created to Reign. Again, I'm Cal Beisner. My colleague, David Legates, has been discussing the biblical perspective of environmental stewardship. There is so much more to be learned in this. Uh, we will continue the discussion in two more episodes. We hope that you will go to cornwallalliance.org, click on the Landmark Documents tab, and read the whole document for yourself. Read the Bible passages that go with it and think it through, because I think this is a very helpful tool as we seek to glorify God and to benefit our neighbors as we exercise a godly dominion over the earth. <laughs>